0: and Thursday finances with us, Barry Preston and me, Jane Klein. And Barry, uh, you well, not Barry only, but all of us may have noticed that uh, there's been a bit of a rise in the petrol prices at the bowser. But we'll get on to that in just a moment as, Barry, we're looking at commodities.
1: OK. <coughs> Pardon me. Well, there hasn't been that much movement in commodities. Gold is uh, $4 ahead, as Australian dollars ahead of what it was last week, to 1489 Silver is... $0.12 cents difference, strangely enough. Silver hasn't moved much at all, $23.59 an ounce. Copper hasn't moved very much either. I thought it might have moved a lot more because of the conflict over in, uh, in the Russian area. It's seven thousand eight hundred and sixty-four. That's down about sixty dollars over the week. Not much of a movement there. Nickel was probably one of the biggest movers, up eleven hundred dollars to sixteen thousand nine hundred and seventy-four. Appears that there may be a shortage of nickel in the world, and of course speculators see this sort of thing and start buying up contracts on nickel. And tin, tins dropped about four hundred dollars again. Not very much as far as tin is concerned, to twenty-five thousand nine hundred and fifty-four. Currencies, <clears throat> pardon me. It's been a fairly quiet sort of uh, a week as far as currencies are concerned. Our Australian dollar versus the American dollar, 89.78 American cents for our dollar. And uh, the British pence, 56.3 British pence to our Australian dollar, very little change on that over the week. The uh, Chinese yuan-rinminbi, $5.50 Chinese uh, currency to our dollar. Very little change there. The biggest movement was the New Zealand. Uh, That's uh, 106 last week. It was 107.8. So we've uh, firmed against the New Zealand dollar. Matter of fact, uh, too much because it's gone down a little bit. And the euro, 65.4. Very, very little change on that one. And Canada... Again, very little change on that 99 cents to the Australian dollar. So overall, very little. Uh, Looking at Russia, and a few people have talked to me about the Russian currency, and strangely enough, we did that on the uh, 5th of February. We looked at the Russian currency. One Australian dollar would buy you 31.13 Russian rubles then. Now you would get 32.36, and I think that might have been a big influence of uh, Russia not uh, going too far because it affected their currency. And, of course... Uh, We do read stories and we hear things that uh, the Russian uh, parliament is controlled by the big chief, uh, who also takes uh, a note of the very, 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 very super rich people underneath as far as oil and that is concerned. Whether that's true or not, I have no idea. That's what I've been reading. Markets. Our market's moved ahead 10 points over what it was last week to 5,457. The Dow is up 162 points for the week to 16,360, and it's hit its highest peak ever. I don't know why, but that's the way it is. It's up over 1% for the week. The NASDAQ, 4,357, ahead 65 points. And that was the biggest move, 1.5% ahead. The FTSE went the other way. It's down 24 points. The British market to 6,775. The Japanese Nikkei, very little change on that's 14,897. That's down 73 points or not even half of 1%. And the Hang Seng, uh, just over... Uh, it's just up half of 1% to 22,579. Now, oil. I can't understand this. Looking at my figures here... When you look at the price of oil over the last, uh, well, since the 5th of uh, February, the highest price it got was on the 30th, well, sorry, since the 30th of January. Our tapas was 131.93 Australian. Yesterday it closed at 127.89 Australian. Yet if you look at the average price from the NRMA, which their website is mynrma.com.au, you will see that the average price for petrol in Newcastle has risen by 9.1 cents.
0: Is this in a week? Yes. Mm.
1: From 152.1 to 161.2. Don't know where they get it, how they average it. Not sure. Central Coast, 10.7 cents ahead. By the way, we're cheaper than the Central Coast by (laughs)
0: 1.5 cents. Okay, that's a bit of a change, isn't
1: it? Well, 162.8. Diesel, very little change, 161.6. Newcastle, 161.2 on the the Central Coast. And Sydney's petrol jumped up 13.5 cents unleaded to 162.7, and their diesel hasn't changed. Now, Looking at that, that's about a 7% increase in the price of the Bowser, unleaded at the Bowser. Yet the difference in what I can see as far as from the January to now is 3%. Now, I can't see it being moved as far as currency movements. I can't see it being moved as far as the oil price is concerned. So it must be something else, and I can't put my finger on it
0: to a new RFM 25 past 12 and Barry Preston with us for Thursday Finance and Barry a favourite song of yours
1: it certainly wasn't. That was and just a year that, or two not ago not long ago in my <laughs> teenage years Henry are we being targeted uh, by asteroids I believe one just missed us
2: um, that's right, Barry. Good morning to you. It uh, emerged overnight that one asteroid came quite close and passed between the Earth and the Moon. And um, worryingly, NASA only found the asteroid a week ago, as it apparently we spend more money on making movies about asteroids than we actually do on uh, searching for them in the uh, in the cosmos. So, um, somewhat d- disturbing news, I guess. But
1: then again, when you say disturbing news, you know, we see on the front page of papers, televisions and all that sort of thing about the job losses, the job losses, the job losses. I'll bet there's no headlines today about Coles putting on 16,000 over the next few years, is there?
2: No, I didn't see too many headlines. The news has all been about uh, the car manufacturers, about SPC. Hmm. And about, of course, uh, Qantas, which seems to dominate the headlines on a daily basis. So as it's become this uh, massive political football to be bounced around between uh, Labor and the coalition and, and Alan Joyce.
1: Isn't it marvellous? But then again, let's look at some good news. The Aussie markets uh, shrugged off the Russian action, and, uh, or was it no action? However, with the May budget coming up on us, it's, it appears that it may be a tough one. Then I read or hear that it may not be a tough one. Does anyone know what's going on out there?
2: No. I mean, I called the, uh, the, the Ukrainian thing a storm in a black sea cup um, as opposed to uh, anything really significant. Mm-hmm. It just appears that uh, uh, Mr. Rasputin has, uh, <laughs> has, has cemented the freehold of his... Uh, naval base in the Black Sea Um, I guess the other issue we have is one second we've got Joe Hockey saying to us that the economy is uh, completely stuffed and that we're in a a sort of a death spiral and the budget's going to be really tough and then we come out yesterday with some good GDP numbers or better than expected at 2.8% and then him saying well actually things aren't too bad and maybe we we know that things aren't so bad after all so there is certainly some some bipolar moments going on at the moment we've certainly had them from, from Qantas as well and we've had them from Joe Hockey. One minute we're going to get a really tough budget, the next minute we're going to get uh, not quite so tough budget. So I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens in May.
1: Well, I suppose I've heard that women can change their mind. Maybe Joe can change his mind.
2: Anyway, let's not go
1: down that track. Interest yeah. rates on hold again. Talk of uh, really not much change for the next six months. Maybe the budget may have some effect on this or not.
2: Um, I don't really think so. The, the RBA would desperately like to get the uh, exchange rate down, um, but at the moment they've got a bit of a problem because the inflation rate is nudging up towards the top of their 2 uh, to 3% target band which is actually, you know, a little bit worrying for them. And also we have this uh, sort of runaway house price boom, certainly in Sydney and Melbourne and certain Mm. suburbs. So um, the RBA has to be a little bit careful that it doesn't cut rates too much. Let's not forget that at the end of the day, the RBA only gives a guideline, really, to what the banks charge for mortgages Mm. and lending. They can really charge whatever they like. And we've seen in this massively competitive uh, business at the moment that the banks are actually cutting their home loan rates to try and attract business also giving out incentives like frequent flyer points and coals vouchers and petrol, cheap petrol as well. So, cheap um, petrol? It's a, Well, <laughs> cheaper. I mean, it's going to be $2 a litre very shortly. Um, so, um, you know, it's, it's a very competitive world there for the banks, and they're trying very hard to get, get, uh, get your business. So um, no matter what the RBA does, it looks like the pressure is still on interest rates on the downward
1: slide a little bit. Saw a chart the other day, Henry. I think you might have produced it or got your information somewhere. But the Aussie real estate market, China has uh, increased theirs by forty-two percent to about five point nine billion. Mm. Canada's up hundred percent to four point nine billion. Yet the Canada others, forward. yeah, the others, USA, Singapore, UK, and Malaysia, they're all down.
2: I know. Who would have thought that Canada, who would have thought that the Canadians were buying property in Australia? Um, I think what's, uh, you know, what's really going on at the moment is we're seeing a a, a pretty big exodus from uh, a recently wealthied and middle-class Chinese who are looking for better education outcomes. For their kids and better quality of air uh, and they're buying a second third fourth or fifth home in, uh, in places around the world where they can uh, get some sort of residency having invested money in the country and one of those is australia they've also done it in canada recently but the canadians changed their rules so maybe the the chinese uh, nationals that bought canadian property have uh, have become canadians and now buying a property in australia on the back of it
1: hmm, westpac apparently is going to spend or fund 50 million dollars for New, uh, new technology startups. That's interesting, and that's good news.
2: It is good news. It's about time somebody did this. I mean, we've we produced some major, major technology uh, in this country from, uh, from the ESCII the Hills Hoist, and more recently to some of the, uh, the internet uh, wonders which have gone around the world, things like Freelancer is a homegrown business, um, and there's that other uh, the big one um, whose name I can't pronounce, so I won't even try, but um, the, you know, these guys go to the Silicon Valley normally to raise funds, so it's, it's, worth, uh, it's worth sort of keeping in mind Westpac's doing a, a good job here, I think, and uh, hopefully this will uh, you know, it will spurn a lot more digital and internet entrepreneurs and give them the funding to start some of these wonderful new, uh, new digital businesses.
1: Talking about new businesses, there's a, a little stock I noticed the other day on the, the, its name, Yowie. Now, what strange name for a stock. What's it do? And I believe it's selling a product in the USA.
2: It is. I mean, most people remember Yowie Chocolate. It was owned by Cadbury's for a long time and certainly one of their most mm-hmm. successful products. Um, Cadbury's sold it to a, a sort of a management consortium. And these guys have been busily trying to revitalize the brand and have recently done a deal with Walmart in the U.S to put these yaoi's into uh, Walmart's it's, you know, it's a premium chocolate it's nicely wrapped it's got a nice toy inside which is collectible and they've also recently launched a digital uh, uh, thing called Yaoi World where kids can uh, interact on their iPads or their smartphones or their laptops and they can actually sort of uh, collect all yaoi's and, and use and also it's educational so they learn about uh, endangered species and they're good quality so the stock's been going gangbusters recently um, it's had a, a meteoric rise for the Yowie
1: and another little company that I was reading about this morning Regenis. apparently it's uh, noticed this morning of some good results with a cancer drug program this is fantastic news this one
2: it is so far it's only been uh, trialled in uh, rats and mice and dogs but uh, it's certainly showing some good promise and they've had a good write-up in one of the medical journals and uh, it does seem to be uh, quite an effective cancer treatment, certainly in dogs, and it is prolonging life in dogs and doing a pretty good job now in the tests they're running in in rats and mice. So let's keep our fingers crossed that uh, somebody out there, if it's not Regenius or somebody else, let's hope someone out there is uh, is going to crack this one for us one day.
0: Thursday Finance and we're in the middle of our market- at Snapshot with Henry Jennings. Barry Preston, over to you.
1: Let's head, first of all, before we go, Fox may delist from the Australian Stock Exchange and head to the USA. Whoops, there goes another one.
2: There goes another one, Barry, as you say. I mean, Rupert uh, seems to be leaving our shores. Um, they were listed both here and in the US, but he does seem to be uh, believing that the listing here is superfluous to requirements, and uh, he's off, bearing in mind that he's just won nearly $900 million mm. from the Australian tax office as well. So yeah. he's not had a bad few months, really, for, uh, for himself. So, um, yeah, he's done okay.
1: Barclays, now, well, first of all, good news. The UK mortgage approvals are up. A six year high. That's good news.
2: It is good news. The UK market continues to recover. I mean, it's very much a consumer and property-led recovery, but manufacturing is now chipping in, and they're really showing that one of the great benefits of being um, your own master of your own currency outside of the euro is that you can um, deflate your currency and export uh, your way, I guess, out of your problems to some extent, and they've been doing that. And the, the amount of money that's being sucked into London is just astronomical, and the more problems that they've had, had in Europe with Greece and Cyprus and other places more and more people from Europe are hiding or, uh, or um, otherwise their ill-gotten gains or their euros in, uh, in the UK property market which is, you know, has this sort of pond-like um, effect to the ripples spread out from London further and further as uh, London just becomes this massive uh, mega
1: metropolis. Now Barclays, that's a British bank I think, is it not? It is indeed. This is another way where they're building money over in there. I believe that there's over in the UK, there's 481 of their employees that are paid more than 1 million British pounds. That was in 2013, and that's up from 53 in 2012. Yet the bank suffers losses and layoffs. Now, is this a degree in stupidity, or have I been puffing something?
2: I think someone's been puffing something. but Certainly, (laughs) you know the Barclays will use the uh, the age-old adage about you know we need to retain top quality staff, etc., by paying them market rates. The trouble is these market rates just keep coming up and up and up, um, and everyone just plays the the sort of I'll raise you a little bit, and you just get this huge um, sort of poker pot, so that no one can actually uh, decrease market rates. So I think it is somewhat obscene, and I'm sure there's uh, the Bank of England and they're having a little look of it and so some of the European um, people as well as it just gets out of control again.
1: Now, pardon me, some good news about airlines. I believe three airlines, Lufthansa, Air France KLM and IAG. I don't know what IAG is, or who are they, but they seem to be doing well, these guys, considering Zombieland is uh, in such a bad state. Yeah,
2: I mean, uh, airlines is is a terrible business. And I hate investing in airlines, but but uh, you know there are certainly some signs of life. In, in Europe in some of these. Um, these are all European airlines. Don't forget that a lot of um, a lot of national carriers have national money and national interest behind them and it is in the national interest for them to do well and to draw in more and more tourists into the country. Um this is, you know, something that's been uh, highlighted with Qantas but uh, it is possible to make money in airlines and Qantas not so long ago were making money hand over fist. So um, you know I'm not sure what went wrong between uh, making money and uh, the present uh, situation, which is obviously not so great.
1: Very quick question. Russia. Mm. Now, is it because the Russian companies supply something like 30% of European gas? It's an interesting situation that the chief over there might have said, well, hang on, we're hurting our uh, big uh, wealthy people here. we better pull back or am I on the wrong track?
2: I, th- I think, you know, Mr. Rasputin has, uh, has, has sort of made his point, really, and, you know, he had a, a dodgy kind of leasehold situation in the Crimea on his port, Sevastopol, um, and now he's turned it into a freehold, so he's done it quite well with the cost of very little bloodshed. Um, and, you know, there are questions as to whether it's a leg- legitimate move or not. Um, you know, there has been one ousted prime minister in the Ukraine who has not been, you know, has been pushed from power by the mob, effectively, who in exile has asked for the Russian help to take back his country? So um, you know, I think you know we've certainly seen Americans do not uh, a dissimilar thing in times gone by. So um, yeah, I think um, I think it's all very interesting, but it probably is that storm
1: in the Black Sea Cup. <laughs> I like your statement there, Henry. Thank you very much indeed. Keep safe.
2: See you Always next week. A pleasure. Thanks,
1: Barry. Henry Jennings
0: and our market snapshot. Thursday, finance and Barry Preston, a subject I'm looking forward to hearing more about.
1: We certainly are. And, of course, our uh, regular guest, Lynn Lucas, who is a local solicitor with in excess of 20 years' experience in estate planning issues. Pardon me. Now a consultant with Catherine Henry, partners of Hunter Street, Newcastle. Hello, Lynn.
3: Hello, Barry. How are you?
1: Well, thank you. Now, what is a guarantee?
3: A guarantee a guarantee basically is an undertaking that a guarantor gives to a lender to repay the debt if the borrower defaults so instead of having two parties like a lender, a bank or whatever um, to to a lender. Uh, if the bank is feeling a little nervous about the amount of the security that the uh, lender, uh, that the borrower has, they won't insist on having somebody guarantee the loan. So let's look at a scenario of parents lending money to a child uh, to buy a house. So if, if they're asked to go guarantor, then the lender actually takes out a mortgage on their house as well as the house mm. that the child is buying. So there, it's a backup back up for the lender, <laughs> so that if sure. somebody defaults, there's,
1: well, there's still another house there. So what are the obligations, first of all, and responsibilities, of the person where the, or who is getting the loan guaranteed, the person getting the guarantee? What's their responsibility? Well, the, the,
3: the person um, who's, who's the guarantor really has to be prepared to repay that mortgage if the borrower defaults. So in other words, if, if if parents are being guarantor for, for a child who's the, the lender, the, the borrower rather, mm-hmm. um, they need to be prepared for the fact that if something happens and their child is not able to repay that loan for one reason or another, uh, then the, the, the bank will look to them to repay it.
1: And so then, okay, what about the lender? Do they have responsibilities in this respect too?
3: Oh, look, the lender is, is, well, we're looking usually at a bank or a building society. And, um, I mean, the, the responsibility really lies with the borrower. I mean, you're borrowing money from the bank. You've got to repay that. And uh, the bank will cover themselves as much as possible to make sure that they don't lose anything on the deal.
1: Mm, fair enough. But if I'm the guarantor, I'm the one, say, look, I'm happy to go for my son or daughter, and they can't pay it. If I keep paying the loan, no problem? No problem. I haven't got to pay it out in one go sort of thing.
3: Uh, no, well, not, not unless the the um, borrower is so far behind that mm. the bank's getting nervous about it because they can foreclose, of course, on a mortgage if, if you don't if you don't pay it. So, and the bank usually gives a, a little bit of freedom um, mm. before they can start taking action to foreclose, uh, so that by the time foreclosure comes, the borrower could be a long way behind. But mm. they will certainly be in touch with the guarantor to let them know what the situation is. So
1: they've got to get in. In touch with the guarantor and keep them up to date if the loan starts to fall behind
3: absolutely mm. yes and, and the guarantor could also always ask for uh, copies of statements so that mm. they keep up to date and, and make sure that the loan is being repaid on time
1: so the worst case scenario i'm the guarantor one of the family's gone bad and can't pay the loan now mm. what the worst case scenario i might have to sell my house
3: yes wow that, that's worst case scenario hmm. that that if, if your child, and we don't know, we don't have a crystal ball, so we don't know what the possibilities are the child, um, and, and clients will say to me, oh look my son or my daughter is very stable, they're in employment they're very careful with their money, etc, etc hmm. but things happen and what if they become unemployed for some reason, what if they're diagnosed with an illness, what if they have an accident and they can't work so all these scenarios, you need to Think about before you start signing a, a guarantee, because if your child is not able to repay it, you're going to stand in issues. Basically, now it, it, as well as having um, a, the, the guarantee, I think people have to realise it's really an extra mortgage um, that, that you've got because the bank will take security over your home. That's going to stop you from being able to borrow further funds. You know, if you want to take out a loan to um, do something with your home renovate or paint it or put on a new roof or something and you apply for a loan, the bank's going to look at your property and they'll say, okay, you've got your mortgage to whatever, but you've also got this other mortgage to the other bank, so we're not lending you any more money because we we feel that that's that's your limit. Mm, So, sorry? mm, so So. so it does, restrict, it does restrict the guarantor in some ways and, and it also means that you can't really sell your home without getting some consent from the, from the lender because they've, they've got a mortgage on it as well.
1: So I think people who are prepared to sign a guarantee for somebody should mm-hmm. sit down, think about it and say, I am just about to sign one of the most dangerous financial documents I've ever signed.
3: Yes. I get very nervous when a client comes in and says, I'm thinking of guaranteeing um, a loan for, for my son, daughter, whatever, whatever, whoever it is. Um, It really is something you should give a lot of thought to and to a lot of those scenarios that we've just spoken about.
1: So I would suggest it's probably better to say, would you give that person that total amount of money now? If not, don't sign the guarantee. Mm,
3: It it really boils down to that, I suppose. Mm -hmm. I I mean, you know, a lot of people could have no problems whatsoever, but we don't know what's around the corner and, and those are the scenarios that you need to think about. If that does happen, am I prepared? to have my house sold and, I mean, obviously the secured property is sold first Mm. and and the the lender will take their funds out of that, Mm. Um, but it's not unknown that a house will sell for less than what the mortgage is and that's when the real problems come in.
1: Mm. Well, uh, and then we're going to have a little break and we're going to come back and Talk about the worst thing that can happen to us, of course, and that's a will, in f- uh, respect to a person who has a deceased. We'll-
0: on to a New RFM and it is five to one on Thursday Finance, and we're taking a look at legal aspects involving finances as well on Thursday Finance. Barry
1: Preston, and with Lynn Lucas, a local solicitor, a consultant with Hen- uh, Catherine Henry Partners of Hunter Street, Newcastle. Now, a will. <clears throat> this is a simple situation. The person has died; they've got a will. When should one apply for probate? Because I have seen estates wound up without probate.
3: Yes, there are only certain circumstances where you do need to apply for probate and that's when there's real estate or shares, uh, an asset similar to that. Now, if real estate is owned by a couple of people as joint tenants, you don't take out probate because by survivorship it just automatically passes on to the other person. But probate uh, should be taken out if if there is real estate, if it's just in the person's name and certainly if there are shares and there would be other assets as well that you you would have the need to take out probate
1: okay this person has died now uh, I assume that once that person dies everything's frozen but we need to get money urgently we've got to pay things uh, mm-hmm. red insurance on the house the car etc how do you go there
3: uh, well it, it, it is frozen but if there are funds in a bank account um, testamentary expenses can be taken out of that. Now, that really only includes the funeral account and perhaps burial expenses and perhaps a filing fee to or file the probate documents in the Supreme Court. What generally happens with other expenses, such as rates and outstanding bills, is that somebody has to pay those and then be reimbursed later on once the estate is finalised.
1: Okay, now, I'm executive of this will. I don't want to really wind it up at the moment for some reason. How long can I prolong winding up the estate?
3: Look, it depends on on a whole lot of issues. Uh, I I, I guess... A reasonable time <laughs> is, is the closest to it, which which can be defined in in lots of different ways. But the, the reasons that uh, um, distribution, final distribution, might be delayed could be uh, perhaps um, an estate's contested. So if somebody contests the estate, uh, it, it's going to hold it up for for a couple of years unless it can be resolved before then. Uh, sometimes an asset takes a little while to sell. You know, real estate might take six twelve months to sell. Mm-hmm sometimes you can't find a beneficiary so everything's <laughs> got to sit still um, and sometimes it takes a while to actually ascertain what the assets and liabilities are which delays the application um, for probate and sometimes beneficiaries wish the distribution to be delayed um, themselves it might affect their pension if they're getting lump sums and all these sort of things so there are a number of of reasons. Now if if there's a continued or an unexpected delay, then a beneficiary can apply back to the supreme court to have the executor replaced if they feel that uh, things are not being done within a reasonable time and uh, the estate is not being wound up then that's one way you can get it uh, moved along to have the executor replaced
1: okay okay lynn we're going to have some more of these segments down the track as time comes uh, by and thank you very much indeed for being with us today keep safe
0: Oh, thank you for having me.
1: Lovely.
0: Bye-bye. And Lynn Lucas, um, local solicitor. And that brings Thursday Finance to an end. Thank you, Barry Preston.
1: Keep safe, everybody. See you next week.
0: Be back after the midday news on 2NURFM.